0: Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Again, I hope you will have your text open. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15. We'll run through verse 19 this morning. Uh, Please have your electronic device there. Whenever the screen goes blank, tap it so it comes back. Those of you in the antiquated era, uh, have your Bibles open and uh, have that text before you. I'm going to confess that it will take us a little while to get to the Scripture, but um, uh, trust me, the Scripture is on my mind, and we're focused there, and that, that's where we are going. I remind you, as we've been uh, working through the book of Galatians, that uh, Paul is writing to uh, people who were Gentiles. That is, they were not of the people of Israel. They were not Jewish. Um, they did not have the advantages of knowing the Old Testament Scripture and having experienced the dispensation of God's grace uh, through the Old Covenant. And so these were, were pagans coming out of a pagan culture, pagan religion, pagan background. And uh, they had come to know Christ and had accepted him as Lord and Savior. But then some other folks, some other teachers came in uh, coming from the Jerusalem area. Uh, we surmised that they were Jewish by background. And as they came in, they said to the Galatians that, you know, it's a marvelous, wonderful thing that you've accepted Jesus and that he's Lord and Savior. That, that's really great. But Paul forgot to tell you about the necessity of observing the Jewish law, the Torah. He forgot to tell you about keeping Sabbath and about obeying the dietary laws and observing circumcision. He forgot to tell you that you still are a son of the commandments and that you must keep all the commandments. And this is how God will gauge your uh, relationship with him is as you look at these uh, commandments and the law. And so the book of Galatians is written to talk about the authentic gospel and that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised on our behalf, ascended, coming again, that it's all about Jesus, and it is not at all about our earning any aspect or any part of the grace of God. So that's why we are looking at the book of Galatians. That's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and he wrote in response to this challenge. That had come to the believers in Galatia. Now, as you look at it, for this morning at least, I want for us to look at what the real problem here is. It's not just a matter of taste. It's not just a matter of style. It's not just a matter of, of some people coming in and saying, well, you know, we really like the Jewish tradition. We wish that more people were educated in it. I mean, Paul knew about the Jewish tradition. He knew about the Jewish religion. He was raised in it. He was a leader in it. He was accomplished in it. He had studied the law up one side, down the other, had it memorized, could bring it to the forefront of his mind and and discussion at, at, at will. And so Paul knew the Jewish tradition and the Jewish law. Not only that, Paul appreciated the Jewish tradition and the Jewish law. He says in Romans that the advantage that the Jew has is that they know the oracles of God. They know what God has been doing for all these thousands of years, and now that it's come to fruition in Christ and the coming of the Messiah, Paul could link what happened in Jesus to the Jewish law, to the Jewish tradition, and so he valued that, knowing that this was the, the, the garden out of which God brought forth the, 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 uh, the growing, blooming grace in Christ. And so he had a great appreciation for the Jewish law. He had a great appreciation for the Jewish religion. We know that wherever he went, he still went to the synagogue. He started his ministry going into the synagogue to say the prayers, to read the scriptures, to listen to the homily, to um, to engage and, and be a part of that fellowship of God's chosen people. We know that when he went to Jerusalem, he would go to the temple. We know that he offered sacrifices there. In fact, his his problems with Rome began when some of the Jews thought that he had gone to the temple but taken a Gentile with him. And so, Uh, uh, Paul had an appreciation for his upbringing, his past. He had an appreciation for the Jewish religion. But when the teachers, these other folks, came into Galatia, they didn't just say, you know, there's a great foundation for the gospel in in, in the law. They did not say, you can understand Christ better if you understand what God has done in the people of Israel. They did not say, you know, there's a beautiful expression of the grace of God in the temple system and in the sacrificial system. They did not say the law is um, a, a way to understand the holiness of God and the nature of God and therefore how we might respond to it. That wasn't their message. What their message was to these Gentile believers, their message was, you know, you've accepted Christ, but that's not enough you must be Jewish. In other words, they came in and they said, our religion. You must join the Jewish religion before God can save you in the fullness of what that means. Now, this is no small thing. This is no small thing because it says that when we come to the Father through the Son, we come by the shed blood of Christ, and the written law of God. It says we come by the sacrifice of Jesus and we come by the expression that, it, that the grace of God found in the Jewish religion and expression of their nationhood. In other words, it was adding to the gospel and it was adding religion. Now, if you want to know one of the things that really technical word for it is ticks. It, it, the, the, what really ticks God off is religion. If you read the Old Testament and you, and, and you read it closely, you get the sense that, that uh, you know, immorality is bad and sin is bad and rebelling against God is bad and, and the nations that don't know God, that is bad. But you know the one thing he absolutely will not abide is idolatry. He absolutely will not abide worshiping other gods. What is idolatry? It's religion. What is worshiping other gods? It's religious expression. What is chasing after other gods? It is religion gone amok. And so when God says, I'm a jealous God, I'm jealous for you, what he's saying is, I will not share you with anyone else or anything else. He's saying, I will not even share you with your religion. I demand a relationship, a personal engagement with me, not some religious practice where you go through the motions, but I demand of you a relationship. So that's how important this issue is in Galatians. These teachers were adding religion to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. How would we define religion? Well, there could be uh, sociological uh, definitions of religion. We might talk about religion as a belief system in which there's a sense of a higher being and certain practices that are, that are designed to uh, make your life in harmony with and, and, uh, um, and compatible with your belief in the higher being. You know, we could go off that. Let, let, let me give you a definition of religion, okay? When I went to college as a freshman in college at an all-boys college in Durham, North Carolina, My first Sunday there, I knew I had to go to church. I had to go to church. I just knew it. And it wasn't because I was particularly uh, spiritual. It wasn't because I was really sold out on Christ. It wasn't because I was really living in this, you know, sort of an intense uh, sense of the presence of God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I knew I had to go to church for one simple reason, I knew my mother would kill me if I didn't. <laughs> that is religion. That is religion. Religion is what you do out of fear that God is going to be angry with you if you don't. Got go to gotta go to church. Got to go to church and God won't love me. You know. Got to sing the hymns. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You're over 60. You have to sing the hymns. Pray songs, you don't have to sing. but the, oh, That's the cutoff line, 60. Yeah. But when we get to this point where we are, uh, you know, worshiping and coming to church and carrying our Bibles, and it's all because of some innate fear or some kind of psychological motivation, I'm just afraid if I don't, what might happen to me? That is religion. Religion has always worked on the basis of fear. Religion works on the basis of fear when you hear those those awful sermons that talk about if you mess up once, God won't love you. If you sin once, God doesn't love you. If you stumble, God doesn't love you. Why, if you don't cross the T's, if you don't dot the I's, if you don't say the words right with the right accent and the right intonation, if you just mess up once, God is not going to accept you. He's not going to love you. You have to worship in this way, this manner, and if you don't, you're out. And we walk in fear that God won't love me. Oh, there's people who grow up in church and they've grown up in church on the basis of fear. And they think it's all about what I have to do, what I have to do, what I have to do. Folks, let me tell you, one of the great liberating moments in my life was when I realized I don't do anything. God's Holy Spirit does it in me. That just sets you free. Suddenly, you're no longer bound to this system of, what law have I overlooked? What, what aspect of God's will have I, have I missed? What is it that I'm not doing that I need to be doing? Because God won't love me. I've got to do, got to do, got to do. And there's this, this rule-based religion put on you, and it just snuffs the life out of you, and it strangles you, and it crushes you. Folks, if you've grown up that way, even if you're here today and it's out of fear, I'm going to tell you that perfect love casts out fear. And it's not our perfect love for God that casts out fear. You probably thought that's what the verse meant. Oh, if only I loved God perfectly, I wouldn't be afraid. No, it's God's perfect love for you that casts out fear. It is God's perfect love in Jesus Christ that takes away the fear that motivates and energizes religion and so this morning if you're here as a religious exercise and if you're sitting in a pew because it's the religious thing to do i want to declare to you in christ jesus you are free from religion oh happy condition we are not called to a religion we are called to the father through jesus christ the son by the power of the holy spirit his grace brings us not our religion not even our work so religion is based upon fear now Let me go on with my story in college. um, I I went to church. In fact, I got up that morning and I went to the bus stop because I'd gotten a little flyer that said that the Humpty Dump Baptist Church there in Durham was going to send a bus to pick up students to go to church. And so I was there waiting to go to church, and the bus never came. Well, I was here at the bus stop, and the Duke University Chapel was behind me. You may not know the Duke University Chapel. It looks like a Gothic cathedral. I mean, if you really wanted to have a movie set in, you know, the the Mid- Middle Ages, it it would be that building. Uh, so I, I, you know, for for many uh, weeks, I went to the Duke University Chapel, and and I think it was like my first semester. Uh, that that's where I went to church. Um, it was an interesting experience. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I I could tell you some things about it, but let me tell you, I went there and it was out of habit. And that's what religion is. Religion is what you do out of habit. Now, let me tell you something. When you're in a spot where I was at the time and you're really not all that spiritual and you're not really sold out on Christ and you're really not convinced that um, uh, this is uh, the only focal point for life. And you're, and you're walking around because, after all, you're at a major university, and you're saying things to yourself like, you know, God's really lucky to have me. Um, you, know. you know, and when you're saying things like that, you're not, you're not going to naturally go to church. You're not nat- naturally going to go worship at all. But you go out of habit, and you go out of habit, And if you've got the habit, God can get a hold of a habit, and he changes it, you know. It's not much of a motivation, but it puts you in a spot where at least you're thinking about the things of God. Religion is largely habit. You know, think about the number of things we do around here just out of habit. Um, You know, we... we, uh, uh, we, we have a schedule, we have a, an order of worship, uh, and, and it changes every week. You know, habit can be your best friend. Habit can be your best friend if it's a good Habit. A habit is your best friend it's if, it, if it keeps you doing something that you ought to do, even though you're not thinking about doing it, because eventually you collide with the fact, hey, look what I'm doing. Why am I doing this? And then God can get a hold of you and say, well, here's why. That's sort of my, uh, the, the, the rest of the story that I would give you. But, but I was there out of habit, and religion can be habit. It can be habit-forming. It can be generational habits. It can be something, we, why do we do this? My family has always gone to church. My family has always been this. My family's, you know, and we just go to church. There's, 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 there's younger folk in, 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 our, in our congregation this morning, and they are here out of habit, not their own, but their parents. And, and the, the, the reason we're here is because, well, it's the thing to do. We've always done this, and, and you know, when I, when I get out of the house, I'll probably go to church after a while. Why? Because I think my mom will kill me, and it's a habit. But habit is your best friend when it's what you ought to do. But we let the habit of worship take the place of the focus and the desire to worship Christ. That's what I'll, i, I I'll tell you. Uh, the, the, this service today, if, if you um, are, are, have gotten to this point in the service and you have not sensed the moving of the Spirit of God, and you have not sensed... The, the overwhelming magnitude of the grace and the love of God for us, and you haven't been brought to the heights of heaven by the music that, that's been presented to us so far, uh, you need a hearing aid uh, or something. I mean, this has just been fantastic. But what is the point of it? The point is not that, while wow, we got a better show than the church down the street. The point is that we lift ourselves and the heart is lifted up out of the habit and it's lifted into personal worship and praise. Personal worship and praise and so it looks like a religious thing to do you might be here out of habit this morning but i'm telling you you're not here by accident And you're not here without god knowing you're here and you're not here without god wanting to get a hold of your heart and bring him bring you to him directly and personally in christ so it might be a habit for you this morning praise god you've got that habit but he wants to change it to a personal relationship Personal relationships. So, so religion works out of fear. It works out of habit. And the, the other thing that religion does is that religion confuses the results with the cause. Confuses results with the cause. Here's what I mean by that. When you come to Christ, you do not come because you have something good to offer him that he does not have. You do not come to Christ because you have earned his attention. There's only one way to come to Christ, and that is as a sinner. That is confessing our unworthiness, confessing that we are deserving of judgment and death, confessing, agreeing with God that we deserve his wrath. That's how you come to Christ. But when you come to Christ, his arms enfold you into the love of the Father, and that is... Changes us. We don't come because we are changed. We come to Christ that He might change us. Do you see the difference? Now, as a result of knowing Christ, suddenly certain things happen. The Holy Spirit gets in your heart. It changes you, and it, and it alters uh, um, how you view life and view society. And now with the Holy Spirit in you, now you want to love others. Now you want to be generous in giving. Now you want to, to, to help the poor. Now you want to be kind and forgiving. Now you want to be supportive of others. Now you want to be an, an agent for good and righteousness and justice in your society. Now your whole life changes, and you start doing nutty things like being conformed to the image of Jesus and that's the result of the Holy Spirit getting a hold of your life that's the result of having come to the cross but what religion does it says you know those those things that are results you have to do those first before you come to the cross the results of the Holy Spirit are the cause of the Holy Spirit that's what religion says and that if you don't experience the power of God in your life, you need to do more. You need to, to, to ramp up your religion more because it takes the results of what are the results of the Spirit and says, no, that's what causes the Spirit. And as a result, you live in this neurotic mind Um, just numbing kind of existence in which every moment you're trying to do something to convince God to love you. You're trying to do something to convince the Holy Spirit to fill you. You're trying to do something to convince Christ to speak in your life and to take hold of your life. You're trying to convince him of that. The gospel is good news because it doesn't say measure up, then you get in. It says, God's grace brings you in, and he measures you up. You ever been to an amusement park? Not on Sundays, of course. But uh, you ever been to one of those amusement rides, and, uh, you know, it's it's the most popular ride, but outside the gate just before, I was going to say just before you get in line, but usually they put it at the end of the line so you get disqualified after spending two hours. But anyway, you know, and it's got a little cartoon character, and he's going like this. You know what he's saying? You must be this tall in order to ride this ride. <laughs> and, of course, your little preschooler comes along and he, he sees that hand. Up. <clears throat> <laughs> Try as he might, he can't reach it. He doesn't measure up. Unless, where is it? Unless you stuff newspaper in his boots and, and he can stand on that but he won't measure up. There's no little guy at the gates of heaven with his hand held out said, you must be this good before you can enter in. There's only the welcoming cross of Jesus Christ saying, he has been your goodness and your righteousness, and in Christ you are measuring up to him. So what what religion does, religion takes the results of the work of God in a life and says, no, you must manufacture that yourself. You must do that yourself. And religion says, you know, the, the, the cause, the biblical cause of righteousness is actually the result of you being righteous first and gets it all backwards. That's what religion does. And that's why it is so deadly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more thing religion is. Religion is about manipulation. It's about manipulation. Now, sometimes we see that in the cults and... uh uh, the, uh, the, the self-appointed prophet who gets up and he, and he just sort of works the people around and he says, well, you know, you got to do this and, oh, by the way, uh, uh, God, God wants you to be free of money so why don't you give it to me and, and you know, and, and if you ever want to, you know, measure you know, if something a cult, just ask yourself, does the leader get all the money, does he get all the power and does he get all the women? And that'll basically tell you if you're looking at a cult. Anyway, so that's Manipulation. But, you know, there's a subtle kind of manipulation that says, well, we're just going to have a a great crowd-drawing show. You know, we'll do our market research. We'll find out where people are, you know, what they like, what they don't like. We'll recraft the worship service. And, you know, people don't like to hear about sin. Sin's out. People don't like to hear money. Offerings out. People don't like to hear uh, about judgment. Judgment's out. You know, we will manipulate the message and manipulate the people and we'll make it just feel so full of, 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 of good vibes and feelings. Vibes, there's a 70-word. You know, good feelings that, you know, you'll, you'll just be manipulated and, and we'll, we'll just tweak your emotions. Look, loving Christ is filled with emotion. If you don't just sometimes sit and weep at the beauty of Christ, you don't know him yet. It's filled with emotion. But religion manipulates emotion for its own ends. And so, you see, religion is not compatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the issue is so important. That's why Paul spends as much time as he does in Galatians talking about why you don't add religion to Christ. Now, that was the introduction I just want to read through this paragraph and give you the contours of what Paul is talking about, okay? So have it in front of you. Look at that with me. Paul says, we ourselves, and he's just been talking to Peter. You remember that? He was uh, uh, saying to Peter, you, you, you know, you, you were living like a Gentile, now you're living like a Jew. You want the Gentiles to live like Jews? You know, all that business. Huh? Okay. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth. This is who we are. This is our heritage. You know, you can almost sense anybody reading this who is Jewish saying, that's right. That's who we are. God's chosen people. We're a little bit better. After all, our religion is the true religion. So he's saying, you know, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Now look, the Gentiles are religious. They've got, they've got religion coming out of their collective ears. You know, they've got the pantheon of the Olympian gods. They've got the mystery religions. Um, the, the Romans and the Greeks, they didn't see a religion. They weren't willing to try. You know, when Paul went to Athens, they, they, they had altars to all different gods all over. They, they had so many altars, they thought they might miss one. And Paul said, you know, I found an altar to the unknown God. So they, they had religion in buckets full. And so this verse, Paul says, look, here's where we start. Here's the observation. We're of the Jewish religion. Everybody else is of the wrong religion. We are Jews by birth. They, pagan, Gentiles, sinners. Now, the Jews knew about sin, but they had a way to be forgiven of sin with the sacrificial system. But Gentile sinners, they had no way to be forgiven. No way at all. So in effect... Paul says, look, if, if you want to look at it from a human point of view, we've got the best religion, you've got the wrong religion, right? So that's, that's a human point of view. We're, we're Gent- Jews by birth. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but we know no one is justified by their religion. Now, why does Paul know that? How does he know that? He knows that because he tried it. He tried being religious. He tried keeping the law. He was a Pharisee. He, He knew the law. It was ingrained in him. And where did it bring him? Keeping the law in this religious sense, this very strict sense. Keeping the law, you know, in this sort of legalistic religious way where you wag your finger in people's faces and says, whatever you're doing, stop it. Especially if you're enjoying it, stop it. God can't like it if you do, you know, that kind of thing. And so going through that religious experience of the law, where did it bring Paul? It brought him to the road to Damascus where he was on his way to kill people when Jesus stopped him in his tracks and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, Saul, Paul realized that he was on the wrong track. And his life changed right there. And he never looked back to religion. Still valued the law. Still knew it was the word of God. Still knew that, that God has an expectation of righteousness and holiness. But he never went back to the religion of Israel. Never went back to the fear and the habit and the confusion and the manipulation of religion again. So he said, yeah. We're Jews, but as believers in Christ, we know you cannot be justified by that religion, by that works of the law. But how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, not by religion, because, underline this, by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No one ever comes to God by religious works doesn't matter how many candles you light doesn't matter how many bells you ring it doesn't matter how many prayer wheels you spin it doesn't matter how many mantras you chant it doesn't matter how many impossible contorted positions of yoga you take You cannot get to God by works of the law. You cannot get to God by works of the flesh. You can only arrive in the presence of the Father through the Son and by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That means investing your life in who Jesus is and what he has done, being conformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, conformed to the image of Jesus, looking more and more like him each day. When you come to Christ, you want to serve him, you want to love him, you want to be like him, you want to sound like him, you want to do the things that he does. Your highest goal in life is to hear somebody say, I see Jesus in you. And, oh, you can can just live forever after that kind of affirmation when you come to Jesus. But you don't get it by works of the law. It comes by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Folks, there's two dangers for us, two dangers for us. The one danger is rank sin. You know, just the, the, the ugly, rank, dark sin. It's, it's the, uh, uh, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the immorality, the, you know, all those, those kinds of things, the abusing people. The rank sin is a problem. But I suspect in this room we have a temptation to be religious instead of loving Christ. We have a temptation to be going through the motions by habit rather than reveling in the time spent in the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Religion is a real temptation for us, for us. This morning, I want you to agree with the Scripture. Religious no longer. Never religious again. I'm never going to confuse the effects with the cause. I'm never going to confuse the outward trappings and manifestation with the inner reality of Christ. Paul said, even though we were at the height of human religion, there's no religion greater than Judaism. I mean, Paul said they they have the oracles of God. They've got the promises to Abraham. They're the ones from whom the Messiah comes. But that is no substitute for knowing Christ personally. And so this morning, my, 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 uh, my real desire, my prayer, is that if you're living a life of religion, you would let the Holy Spirit take you out of the religion and bring you into the relationship by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what this verse is talking about. Let me, let me polish it off so uh, um, we don't have to do this again next week. Verse 17. By the way, um, have have you ever gotten those puzzle pages, books? Maybe you got one for your kids. Maybe you're using one right now, you know, that that has connected dots and and color and, and, you know, fill in the blank, things like that. But one of the puzzle pages will have start here, and then it has this squiggly line that goes all over the page and then end here, and you have to trace the line. You've seen those? Just nod yes or we're going to be here all day. Okay, there you go. All right. That's what this verse is. Okay, he, he starts one place, he ends at another, and we've really got to, to listen carefully to, to see the, the flow of this. So uh, bear with me as we go through 17 through, uh, 17 and 18. It says, If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, now what does that mean? When he says, I want to be just, I, w- I want to have a relationship with God the Father, I want to be justified with God, uh, in a right relationship with God. I want to be justified with the Father. He says, but I want that justified in Christ, not by the Jewish religion. So he says, so what has happened in my life is I have faith in Christ and I no longer rely on works of the law. That's that's what's gone on just there. So I, I am justified in Christ, means no longer works of the law. He says, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. That is, we told the Gentiles all you need is Christ. Now these other folks are coming along saying, no, no, you need religion. And now, if they need religion, we, we rejected religion. And so, in order to have Christ, we rejected religion. You tell us we need religion now. Evidently, we rejected the wrong thing. We should have kept our religion and then tried to embrace Christ both at the same time. And since we didn't, that means we did something wrong. We were sinning against God when we rejected religion just to love Christ. If, in fact, you need religion. If you are with me, I congratulate you. If you're not, I can't repeat it. (laughs) But that's what he means. He says, if trying to be justified in Christ, we were found to be sinners because we did not embrace the Jewish religion. Is Christ a servant of sin? Does that mean you have to sin against God, rejecting religion, in order to have Christ? He said, certainly not. Actually, in the Greek, it's... um, Um, oh, that, that's the Greek for it. I wasn't... Uh, you could translate it, don't be stupid. <laughs> that's absurd. You know, only an idiot would think that. Okay? I read all that into the Greek there, Larry. <laughs> he says, is, is Christ a servant of sin? Of course not. He says, if I rebuild what I tore down, if I bring the Jewish religion back into faith, then I proved myself to be a transgressor because I shouldn't have let go of it in the first place. So here's the conclusion. Verse 19, and we'll stop with this. For through the law, through my Jewish religion, through this religious experience, through my religiosity in life, I died to the law. It says what happened there was the law trying to be good and righteous on my own. All of that I realized that will never happen. I died to the law. But here's the great thing. When I died to the law so that I might live to God in Christ, the way to live in the power of God is not by keeping religious rules and regulations. It's by knowing the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul is so exercised here. That's why he doesn't want to allow even the smallest bit of religion into the gospel because it will take a people away from Christ and take them away from the Father. That's why it's so important uh, to him. So the authentic gospel is a gospel not of what we do, but of what God has done in Christ for us. We come to the cross, and we don't have to measure up to the little guy before we get there. We come to the cross not because we have changed and improved ourselves. We come to the cross because the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of us and convicted us of our sin, and the Holy Spirit is changing our hearts. We come to the cross and confess Jesus is Lord, and Savior. That's the gospel. Now, folks, we're still going to have worship. We're still going to come to church and read our Bibles. We're still going to pray. We're still going to sing the hymns and the songs and the praise songs. We're still going to take the offering at the exact same point in the service every week. And uh, we are also going to sing the doxology as long as I'm here. But we're going to do that because Jesus Christ is Lord the glorious Son of the Father, the one who is worthy of all adoration, the one who is worthy of praise, the one who is worthy of our lives, the one to whom we give ourselves in a sacrifice of thanksgiving, not to earn his love, but because he first loved us. And we will never be religious again. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I just so thank and praise you for what you do in our lives and that you work for our good. I recognize that we don't even know what that is, but in an amazing way, your Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see you working in grace. Father, thank you. I lift up to you the folks who are here today who, who are bound and chained to religion, the folks who today think it's all about what they do. I ask that the Holy Spirit would come in and set such hearts free and give to each one an added measure of grace to know Christ, to walk in.